Today's episode is sponsored by the Silva Ultramind System, which is a highly optimized framework for awakening your mind's fullest potential by giving you a reliable access to altered states of mind that's based on the Silva Method, a pioneering mind empowerment methodology founded in 1960. Basically, it's a long way of saying it's a meditation style that I started using recently, and it has changed my life. It's more of an active type of meditation. So it's not any of that, like clear your mind stuff, get super quiet. It's more of an active, like doing something with your mind, you're actively thinking. And I can say I've seen measurable difference in my life since implementing it. They also have a super easy to use app. So you can use it on any smart device that you want. So if you're interested, you can head on over to our show notes and look at the Silva Ultramind system link that we have there. Now let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to Gay Men Going Deeper, a podcast series by the Gay Men's Brotherhood, where we talk about personal development, mental health, and sexuality. Your hosts today are Michael Diorio, Callan Brecken, and myself, Matt Lancedal. Collectively, we have over 40 years of experience in the personal development world. And if this is your first time listening to us, we want to welcome you. We each have our own coaching practice, but in this podcast, we are giving away all of our best stuff. Today, we are talking about dealing with loneliness. So the topic in the Gay Men's Brotherhood this month is loneliness. So we're going to be unpacking a couple uh, podcast episodes revolving around loneliness. So today we're going to be exploring questions like how has loneliness impacted your life? What relational fears do you have when it comes to connection? And how do you deal with these fears? And what have you done to deal with loneliness in your life? We'll continue these discussions on the last Thursday of every month in the Gay Men's Brotherhood Zoom Hangout, where you'll have the chance to share your own experiences. This podcast and YouTube channel are listener and viewer supported. If you enjoy what we're creating, you can support us by heading over to our Patreon page and contributing to the show. You can also subscribe to the early access option on Apple Podcast, listen ad-free, and gain early access to episodes. All your support helps us to continue making content for you and supporting our community. We do thank you in advance. Also, you can check out our attachment style quiz in the show notes to find out what your attachment style is, and you'll get a free report on that as well. All right. So before we jump into today's episode, let's read a review from one of our listeners. So this is from DJB off of YouTube on episode 107, which is our crying episode which was quite popular, by the way, which is great because it's mm-hmm. nice to see men getting interested in talking about ex- like emotional expression. So, so this person says, so glad I found your channel. Ever since I was a child, I was always very sensitive and I was, it was hard for me to cry. I was so used to holding everything in. I remember one day praying that when the time comes, I would be able to cry peacefully and get all this sadness out. My prayer was definitely answered because this year I've cried more than ever in my entire life. I can walk down the street at any time and a wave of emotions will come over me in an instant. Crying is hard, but it's therapeutic and helpful. It gives a moment of relief and perhaps some hope. Hopefully someday I will cry good tears and heal from my personal wounds. Thanks for sharing. That's really beautiful. Yeah, it was very touching. I love that. And it's why we did that episode. It was so fucking important. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was really beautiful. I was glad to share that space with you guys. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So before I begin my little monologue, I just want to say that um, because we're talking about loneliness today, Lone Wolf episode 33, uh, highly recommend that episode if you haven't watched that yet. Um, and yeah, exactly. So we'll we'll unpack. So what is loneliness? Um, I think for a lot of us, um, we experience it as uncomfortable, <laughs> unpleasant, painful. Um, but I want to go through a little bit of the psychology of what loneliness is. And I used the research from Dr. Julianne Holt-Lundsted, and she's a professor of psychology at Brigham University, Brigham Young University. Um, I really like this quote. So she says, loneliness results from a discrepancy between one's actual level of social connection and one's desired level of social connection. So the space between that. So what we're experiencing in our connection versus what we desire to experience in our connection, that's likely where we're going to experience the unpleasant experience of loneliness. <clears throat> so loneliness is an emotion and it's also a state of mind. Um, it is an emotion and is the emotional response to the state of being lonely or alone. Being lonely means that a person is alone without companionship and or lacks meaningful connections with others. And the difference between the two is simple but subtle. Loneliness is the emotion caused by being lonely. So for today's episode, we're not going to be talking about being alone. We're going to be talking about that in an episode coming up. Today, we're going to be talking about the experience of the subjective experience, I'll say, of loneliness, how we experience our perception of being alone as technically a negative thing the hard part of being alone. Um, so we won't be talking about solitude today. We're going to be talking about loneliness. Um, so any, yeah, feelings of loneliness are subjective based on our response to being lonely. Okay. Um, loneliness can cause people to feel empty, alone, and unwanted. And this is why it is so painful for a lot of us because it brings up a lot of our insecurities and it brings up our, a lot of our fears of not belonging. Uh, people who are lonely often crave human contact, but their state of mind makes it more difficult to form connections with other people. Loneliness is not necessarily about being alone. Instead, if you feel alone and isolated, then that is how loneliness plays into your state of mind. So causes of loneliness are often things like depression, social anxiety, social isolation, introversion, low self-esteem, unresolved trauma, and a preoccupation with social fears. So again, like um, worrying that we're not gonna belong or fear of rejection, uh, these sorts of things, they keep us away from connection because we experience, we may have experienced in our past connection as being something that leads to pain. So we stay away from connection, but then we also have this desire for connection. So there's that's the birthplace of this inner conflict. I really wanna connect, but I'm terrified of connection. And that I think is the, you know, for the three of us, we talked about that in the lone wolf episode. You know, we, we, it's, there's a very uh, disempowering side to the lone wolf and there's a very empowering side of the lone wolf. And the disempowering side is when we're letting our fears override our desire for connection and we keep ourselves in social isolation, which can lead to a plethora of health impacts. Um, loneliness has been directly correlated in a lot of research studies uh, between alcohol and drug abuse. Um, altered brain function, Alzheimer's disease progression, antisocial behavior, cardiovascular disease and strokes, decreased memory and learning, depression and suicide, increased stress levels, and poor decision making. So 
we are biologically hardwired for connection. And when we override that, that natural um, desire, it leads to a lot of issues for us. So this is why I think this was the inspiration of wanting to create this. Well, the, the whole vision of what we're doing, but this episode specifically is we, we, we all know um, from firsthand the impact of isolating ourselves. So um, no more. We're now in connection and we're reaping the benefits and we want to share that with everybody. So um, I think it's important to, to address uh, something. There's a term called existential loneliness and it differs from loneliness in the sense that it's, um, it's more on a, on a spiritual spectrum. I think, you know, we have this experience. We, as human beings, we get this material and this spiritual experience of life. And when we're, when we're in this over identification with the material, there's this, this term, which is existential loneliness. We, we were not connected to something greater than ourselves. We're only connected to the physical plane. And when we are experiencing disconnection, we experience a deep, deep existential loneliness, which is I'm in this life alone. I'm came into this life alone. I'm going to leave this life alone. I'm going to have many periods of loneliness throughout my life. We, we have to make peace with that as human beings. Right. And, um, we can make peace with it in different ways. I think for myself, like I do have a, a, a belief that there is something greater than myself. I, I connect with, with spirit, I connect with source, and that helps me through periods of loneliness. But I know for, for a lot of people on this planet, that's, they don't have that connection. They don't desire that connection. Um, so that existential loneliness can be experienced as um, very extreme very painful. And I think that's why a lot of, there is a lot of suicide related to loneliness because people experience that deep, deep loneliness and they feel like they can't get out. It's a pit of despair and, um, and it leads to people taking their life. And I think that's, um, it's very, very upsetting. Um, so I, there, there's an element here of, of taking responsibility for our loneliness. And I think, um, you know, we have, in life, we have self-inflicted loneliness, which is the disempowered lone wolf, which is we're choosing social isolation to keep ourselves safe. I think I look at that as self-inflicted. And then we have loneliness, which I would say is out of our control in some instances. So it could be the loss of um, a marriage or the loss of, of someone we love. And we have, we go through periods of extreme loneliness. And that is, um, something that tends to be out of our control to a certain degree. I think we can seek connection, but I also think through the grieving process, oftentimes loneliness is how people do grieve because we are alone in our grief um, for the most part. So um, I think I, I came up with these questions today because I wanted to explore how we can get better at learning how to be lonely, which is one side of this, this coin. And then I think we'll be talking a bit more about that in the next episode that we do on loneliness. This one, I want to explore more how we can face our fears and how we can start to override loneliness as a choice, um, you know, formed by social isolation and learn how to start to move towards connection community um, so we can empower ourselves and learn how to belong. So that's really um, what I want to unpack with you guys. So um, the first question we have here is how has loneliness impacted your life? So let's start with Callan today. Oh, I was just being like, <laughs> don't come in first. <laughs> I vote Michael goes first. 
Okay, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are you serious? Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm like dead serious. <laughs> That's totally cool. I got you. I got you, Callie. Yeah, I did Maybe not something sl- I say will like will like spur something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I for those listening, I did not sleep well last night, so my brain is very mush today. So that's why I'm like, I can't go first because I got nothing going on upstairs right now. <laughs> no problem. We got you. We got you. All right. Um, yeah. So what a what a loaded question. How has mm-hmm. loneliness impacted your life? I love it. You know, I love the loaded, loaded questions. Um, okay. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy that you talked about that existential loneliness at the beginning there, Matt, because mm-hmm. as I was preparing and, and looking up sort of uh, loneliness for myself and, and within myself and how I've experienced it for the first question, I was also doing a bit of research on the topic myself and I came across that as well. I thought that was a very just very interesting. I'm so happy you had a chance to talk about that. Um, something else that I discovered was, you know, different types of loneliness. So I think it's a really important to kind of address what some of those types are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I want to do is talk about the four types that I found um, and then share how I've experienced them in my life. So I'm going to answer the question by kind of Perfect. giving a little bit of this lesson. Yeah. Okay. That. So keep in mind, guys, these are not mutually exclusive. Like if just like, you know, if you have one doesn't mean you, you don't have the other, they can overlap in many ways. Um, but what's really great about it that I found is as I was kind of reading about each one of them, they have their own kind of cause and their own coping strategy. So maybe it'll help you. Okay. So first one is the emotional loneliness. And that is the kind that I think a lot of people think about when we first talk about loneliness, which is the feeling of lacking genuine closeness with another human being, just wanting someone to connect with on that deeper, intimate level and then not having it. So for me, the the I mean, I felt this many times in my life, but the one that stands out the most is, is post-breakup um, years ago from a partner. And I felt we ended it very quickly. It was a cold cut. So he blocked me, deleted me from everything. And I just mm. had this like this nowhere to go. So I felt the pain of that loss, the pain of the separateness, the pain of his absence was there one day and gone the next. And even though I had friends and I had family, I had a social network, um, I still was lacking that deep, intimate, emotional bond that was really, that was where that loneliness was about. Okay, so that's the first one. The second one is a social loneliness, which is defined as lacking a sense of belonging to a community or group. So this one's an interesting one. It got me thinking. I it I guess it's always been a challenge for me, but I've not often seen it that way. It's actually been a source of pride <laughs> for me that I have not actually belonged to like a clique, you know, in school or or that I, I that I don't belong. Now I've certainly come to see the light in that and that belonging in community is definitely part of my life now and it's definitely part of my own mental and emotional health. But for me, I I took a lot of pride in the fact that I was a bit of a enigma. I didn't fit into one group in high school. I was friends with the jocks. I was friends with the emo kids. I was friends with the nerdy kids. And I kind of was on the periphery of all these groups, but not actually belonging to one particular crew. And I liked it because it's very much suited my lone wolf. It suited my Gemini self. And I got to adapt. And I like to think of myself as a bit of a cross pollinator. (laughs) So I'd bring some ideas from this group and bring these people together. And it was really fun. But I will say at a time when it was detrimental, when I really felt the the pain of it was probably way before in like grade school, because I seem to remember very distinctly dreading things like recess, uh, where 
I'd be like, oh shit, who am I going to hang out with? What am I going to do? Who am I going to be with? Like, I knew these kids are going to hang out together. I know these kids are going to go play basketball. I knew these kids are going to go gossip in the, you know, back area there. But what am I going to do? And because I didn't have my go-to, my crew, my peeps, my friend circle, I got really um, nervous about these things. I had a social anxiety about anything where like the teacher would say, okay, guys, put yourselves in groups. And I would panic because I'm like, oh, fuck, like I'm going to be not, not that I would be alone, but like, I, I don't like, no one's going to just think of me first. Like, oh, Michael's with us. Like that never really happened. So that's sort of the example I can think of for, for um, social loneliness. The third one is situational. So this is circumstantial and usually temporary. So great example is during COVID, we had to deal with lockdown. If you lived alone, this could be a time where you felt lonely, but it was based on the situation of the lockdown. Um, you know, another example could be if you're living a nomadic lifestyle, if you travel a lot for work, you don't get a chance to really put down roots. That could be a situation of um, <clears throat> situational loneliness. So how I experienced this was when I was traveling around the world um, for six months in 2019, 2020, probably one of the highlights of my life. However, there were times, several times where as much as I was having the time in my life, I thought, I really wish I had someone to share this with. So it's not like I didn't have people in my life. I did. They were just at home. Uh, it's not like I was missing that emotional closeness. That wasn't it at all. It's just like, I really wanted someone to share this with. And I knew that it was temporary. Then it was just the result of me traveling alone for six months it was a choice I made. Um, and, and I did have friends that I would meet on the time, but as I moved on to the next city and next country, the, those relationships kind of dissolved as well. Okay. And then the last one is chronic loneliness. And this is, um, can be a byproduct of all of the above or, or any of the above after a prolonged period of time. And it's when you're feeling lonely for so long that it actually becomes part of your identity, part of your personality. Um, an example that you might think of is an elderly person who their uh, adult children have moved away, far away. Their spouse passes away. They're living at home alone. Maybe they don't have any, any friends. Friends maybe passed away. And so they're living at home year after year, kind of just by themselves. So for me, I'd say the closest that I've come to this in my own life is when I experienced my dark night of the soul. So that was the period between fall 2014 and spring 2015, about six months, where I just felt like loneliness was just part of me. Like, okay, this is it. <laughs> I'm just lonely now. Not to say that I didn't have people in my life. I did, but it just was kind of kind of like, it's like that existential loneliness that I was talking about at the beginning. It just felt like, I just felt deeply alone, even though there was people all around me. Okay, so those are the four types, and hopefully this helps listeners and viewers understand their own loneliness a bit better. It certainly helped me categorize mine in those mm -hmm. situations. So hopefully, Callan, that has inspired you a bit, because now I'm going to pass it over to you. It for did, actually, a lot. Yes. I was like, oh, thank God. I knew it. I knew. I was like, no, Michael's <laughs> got to go first today. Like, I, <laughs> I can't do it. Um, but that actually triggered a lot in me. So thank you very much for that, Michael. And thanks for the great introduction uh, today, Matt. This is a very um, close topic to me. And now that Michael has laid out those four kind of areas, it's like made it easier for me to kind of compact it all together. Because in my life, I had kind of opposite experiences as you, Michael. Um, growing up as a kid, friendships and that kind of that was easy. I was not I wouldn't say picked first for sports or anything like that. But like having friends or having that close friend, there was always at least a close friend or somebody that it was like there was the click there was the 
you know, the hangout. And even <clears throat> through middle school, it got rough. But then high school, I definitely had like a secure group of friends. Like we were those guys, um, mostly gals, actually. But we all like hung out together at the same time. Even if we had different lunch breaks, like we all would still hang around those same type people. We always hung out on the weekends. Um, so I had that kind of social um, and back when you're that age, that also, I think, fulfills the emotional side of it for you because you've not, I mean, some do, but uh, as gays, we don't usually get into the emotional relationship type of stuff until at least I didn't until I was older. Um, so social for me was, was fine growing up. It was, you know, emotional that really got me with emotional and situational because of like parents divorce. And that actually was kind of like a situation that then forced upon the emotional distance and the emotional loneliness, because it was like, I then withdrew into myself because I didn't feel that safety that the family unit would have usually provided. Mm -hmm. um, and then as I got older and in my older years, how I experienced loneliness now is it's kind of done a weird flip because I chose to move to London over to the UK in 2007 and eight. And that kind of started the whole trigger of like traveling the world and, you know, going and doing all these amazing things. And then I lived in the Middle East and that was a really great experience in my life. But the trade-off was loneliness and somebody who's going into that world or traveling for work or doing that needs to realize that, on one side, there's that glamorous side that looks really great. But on the other side, there's like the chronic depression and loneliness. And like, they don't tell you these stats, but like the suicide rate and flight attendance is like crazy high. Like we would hear about it all the time at work when I used to work in the Middle East, all the time you'd hear about somebody's friend who just committed suicide. I had a friend who literally came home to his roommate having had committed suicide in their apartment. And they just don't talk about it because they don't want to have that negativity around it. But it's, it is that thing where you're so socially around people all the time. So you're not socially lonely because you're at work and you're talking to people and you're having to be friendly and, you know, you have people around you, but it's not that same type of friendship or connection that you get when you're younger or like it's a chosen group of friends. It's kind of more of a situational group of friends and it was this weird psychology, especially in the Middle East, where it was like, I knew I wasn't going to live there forever. So how deep did I want to make these friendships? Like, how deep do I really want to connect with somebody when I know that then I'm going to have to pull away from that and I'm going to lose that? And I think that that can also translate into relationships and that that's what scares a lot of people in relationships of, you know, why am I going to create this container or this relationship? where it might satisfy this, you know, emotional loneliness. But then what if it gets taken away from me? Like, Michael, it got taken away from you and you had no say in the matter. And it was like a cold turkey. And then like, what do you do with that energy? And I think that that fear is what holds a lot of people away from creating those relationships. But then there's the trade-off, right? It's like, okay, either you're going to take the emotional loneliness or you're going to take the risk that, you know, maybe one day it gets taken away. Um, so that's how it mostly has played out in my life in regards to loneliness is like going and doing all my traveling. I've had these great, amazing experiences, but the trade-off was quite often, a lot of the time I was very emotionally lonely. Socially, it was okay. Um, I did get more antisocial as I lived in the Middle East because I was like, I want to go home. 
And now my social life is picking up and doing better. But now having moved to Toronto in 2019 and then living through a pandemic, um, that didn't help. But it's now in this weird space where it's like, okay, I got some social going on. But when I get lonely, it's because of that emotional connection that I'm wishing I had in my life. Um, and then also just that reminiscentness of like family. And I wish I'd had that emotional relationship growing up, like a more stable emotional relationship growing up with family um, to the point where it ha like, I do question, like, has it just become a chronic part of my life? Has it become this thing where it's like, I like being alone, um, which we're going to talk about that in another episode, but like, is it also like, did the situational create that chronic to the point where it's like, oh, is this really me? Or is this just been what I've been conditioned to believe now? Um, but definitely loneliness shows up a lot more in the emotional aspect of like, oh, I wish I had somebody to just cuddle with. But then there's the push pull of like, oh, but I also really like not being like, I like to just be like, okay, well, this was been a nice cuddle. Now I'm going to go and like go to bed, like go home now. Like, where's that balance kind of happen? And so I'm navigating that part of my life right now. And loneliness is changing recently as the world has opened up. I've like started forcing myself to go out more and do more fun things. Um, so that's how loneliness is, uh, has registered in my life. Um, what about you there, Mr. Matt? Mr. Matt. Well, I relate to both you guys, geez, in, in such powerful ways, I think. Um, kind of trying to go back down memory lane. I think, you know, a, a, a very core wound or even like a karmic thing that I've been dealing with my whole life is this feeling of feeling misunderstood and feeling different. Um, being gay, being sensitive, being empathic. These are all things that significantly impacted who I am and being an empath in a family system where no one else is empathic is a very challenging thing to navigate because you're picking up on everything in the family system, the spoken and the unspoken. And it was really challenging um, feeling all these things. And my experience of people from a very young age was overwhelmed. I always would feel overwhelmed around people. I felt overwhelmed at school uh, in my early years. Um, and it's because I didn't have the skills. I didn't learn the skills of how to be an empath in this crazy world. I had to develop those much later in my life. And I think that's why the intensity of, uh, of things in my life was so heavy for you know the first half of my life really so far. Um, so what that did for me is it's it put me into... Um, at first, it put me into inauthenticity as a way to fit in and and get connection, to, so I could so I could try and meet this need for feeling different and feeling um, alone. And I went at it through a self abandonment, and that led to um, I was very very popular in school. I had tons of friends. I played hockey. Like I was like that. You know, basically from the outside. Um, people probably thought I had it made and and the life was fantastic, but I was hiding everything. I was hiding all, all the parts of me that were authentic. And I think I was starved for authentic connection. And that was what I needed to alleviate my loneliness. Um, I, I was literally at parties and in groups of people and I still felt lonely. Do you know what I mean? So for me, it was, it's not a social thing because, um, 
for me, it was an authenticity thing. I needed to be authentic. I needed to learn how to feel secure in being my authentic self. So I could share that with people and feel met at that place. And I, I just, I crave that my whole life. And, um, I think now I'm starting to finally find it, but I do relate to the, this whole notion of chronic loneliness because I think I've, I've used it as an adaptation to survive, right. To isolate myself because I find people overwhelming. Um, I am ambivert, so I'm not fully introvert. I'm definitely more on the introvert spectrum, but I have an extroverted side to me. Um, and I would say maybe it's like 30% of me is, is extroverted. Um, so I know that when I'm in that energy and I choose social isolation, I, I experience loneliness. That's so 30% of the time I'm, I'm, I feel lonely. And then 70% of the time I don't because I'm very comfortable being alone. Um, I, I think my experience is I get drained by people. That's how I know I'm more introverted. People drain me versus charge, recharge me. Um, and that doesn't mean that I don't have a ton of fun with people, but I just, the, at the end of a night of a lot of socializing, I'm wiped. Whereas some people that are more on the extroverted spectrum, they're charged up and they're ready to go. Right. Um, so I need a lot of alone time. So I think, um, I think that's, that kind of categorizes, um, my, my, well, my whole life, really, this dualistic nature of my being, like, I've, I've been like that my whole life. And I think it's, um, you know, and I will say lately, too, like, I, I've been practicing a lot of, um, like, nonconformity. And um, it's, it can be quite radical, actually, like, I think a lot of people are put off by, by people who don't conform and don't fit in. And I think a lot of us have to sacrifice, or at least we think we do, we think we have to sacrifice our sense of self for connection, right? And that's absolutely not true. I think, so what's happening now is I'm overriding my desire to people please and abandon myself with, with non-conformity and just speaking my truth and putting myself out there and, and saying all the things that, you know, maybe I wish I would have said in the past and never did. Um, and what's happening is I'm losing connection for sure um, in my life, but I'm gaining back authentic connection. So inauthentic connection is leaving my life and authentic connections coming into my life. And it's just, I'm finally, I think for the first time in my life, feeling what I've been craving my whole life, which is to feel seen and heard in my authentic expression of who I am. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting, but I do know that I still am governed by fear, social, social fears um, around and mostly in the gay world, actually, believe it or not, I don't really have these fears in any other context, except for in the gay gay context, because I think there's been a lot of trauma for me in that context, a lot of um, like mean girl energy, a lot of people being jealous, um, like just that sort of uh, energy. And I've been kind of outcasted in certain groups. And I also think it's because I am a little different. Like Michael, we have that experience of feeling like we're an enigma. We can, you know, morph and, and stuff. And the things I want to talk about tend to be quite out there, right? Like, um, and a lot of people struggle with that. So I do experience rejection within the gay community for that reason. Um, so uh, I want to, I want to, well, and I think that's going to be the next question is like, just really looking at some of the fear. So I won't, I won't bother going into that much now, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. So, 
Um, okay. So the next question we have is what relational fears do you have when it comes to connection and how do you deal with these fears? So we'll just start with Michael again. Uh, great segue. <laughs> the ones mm. you just said, <laughs> mm. I think as I was thinking about this, I mean, I, I can speak to like the specific little ones, but at the end of the day, it all boils down to the fear of rejection or fear of abandonment. So I think, you know, when I talk about my fear of visibility, fear of being seen, I shouldn't even call it that because I love being seen. That feels great. I think it's more so like a fear of being found out. <laughs> That's what it's really about is like this exposure of, of these things that I maybe don't want people to see that I don't love about myself. So like, you know, my insecurities, the fact that I'm sensitive about certain things or that I have this, this ugly side which I do, that when it's exposed, people are going to be like, oh, I don't, I don't like him. I don't like you. I don't want to be around you. Mm -hmm. um, but also in, in the, let's call them like quirky things about me, right? Like the things that I'm interested in. I love having these deep conversations about things and I'm really passionate about things that some people might not give two shits about, but I really am, right? So, um, and the fact in the same token, people get really excited about things that I just could care less about. And I just kind of zone out in a conversation. So I think it's, it's, it's the fear of standing out being seen in that sense. And then, yeah, it's really, it's really just about rejection and abandonment. But I think the way that I handle it is, is kind of what you had said earlier. Um, first of all, there's always going to be that risk. We have to assume the risk. It's not about getting rid of the risk. It's about assuming, yes, the more myself I am, the more that that risk is going to be there, the more that people will not like me and that's okay. Um, and so I think for me, what helps me is that over the, over the last few years, I've really developed and honed the skill of having my own back. It's what I like to call self-compassion. It's the way I describe it is, you know, being my own best friend, being my first person who's going to come to my, jump to my defense, um, you know, is going to be me. <laughs> I don't need that to be my partner or my mother or my friend. It's me. So I think that helps me a lot is, is even if that does happen, like worst case scenario, um, I got my, I got myself, I think I got myself through this. I got some, some self-compassion, uh, reminding myself that it's okay. Not everyone needs to like me. <laughs> and that's, that's actually okay. I want the people who do like me to like me for who I truly genuinely am. All my quirkiness and oddities, um, not, I don't want to be liked for trying to be someone I'm not for pretending to like, I don't know, the Kardashians when really I could give less than a shit. Um, so yeah, like that, that, that sense of being me really does fuel me. It feels very liberating. It feels empowering. It feels expansive as I think about it. I think Shakespeare, the truth shall set you free. Uh, very, very much a statement that resonates with me. Um, like as soon as I think of having like to shed all of the things that I think I have to be for fear of rejection, it just feels empowering. Like, oh, I don't have to carry that anymore. I could just be me. Yes. And people aren't going to like it. That's okay. The other side of that is I might be scaring a lot of people out there, but yes, people aren't going to like you for being you. That's fine. But also I will say this for me, it's never, ever been as bad as I thought it was going to be. If it does happen, first of all, it's rare that it, it actually happens. Most of the time, if I if I expose myself and I am who I am and I expose an insecurity or that I'm sensitive about this area of my life or that I have this interest and hobby that's maybe a little bit weird, most people either don't care at all, like, oh, that's nice, or they think it's 
charming or they think it's super relatable um, or they don't care at all. Very rarely has someone actually like rejected me full on or like hated me <laughs> for something like that. So it doesn't happen as often as my brain wants to pretend that it will. That fear really is, uh, you know, not often truth. It can happen though. Um, and then, yeah, the other thing it does is it gives people the opportunity to actually love me for me, right? And and this is what we talk about here all the time. Like, be be who you are and let people love you and approve you and, and want to be your friend because of who you are, because of the fact that you really enjoy, I don't know, doing these really ridiculous, quirky things. And then I think the other thing it does is it gives them permission to be themselves. That's what people have told me about our podcast, the three of us is, and we've read many reviews, like, you know, hearing the three of us speak and be vulnerable and authentic and be who we are and kind of put this out into the world for their public consumption and all of the criticism, which we do, it still helps people show them like, Hey, if they can do it, I can do it. If these guys can do it, I can be myself too. So it gives them permission to be themselves. So yeah, that's how, I guess that's the fear, fear of rejection and how I deal with it is like, accept it, accept it as a, as a risk I'm willing to take. And also it usually doesn't end up being that bad. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. How about you, Callan? I think I have a very different answer to this question. <laughs> I was Tell sitting there listening to you and I was just like, huh, interesting. Um, so for it's good, me, though, we need that different perspective. Yeah. For me, oh, this is a loaded one, I think. Um, so my fears are more less around me getting hurt, which, yes, that is a thing because I've been always the one who got broken up with. And I was always the one who was rejected for being too much um, or that they couldn't handle because I'm a very confident person. And like, I'd like to have healthy debate, but like a lot of people can't handle that or don't want to handle that. Um, so my exes have all broken up with me. Um, and then also going back to family, like, you know, family also rejected me of like, we have our own shit, like you're too much, like just kind of gave up on me and was just like, do whatever you want. Um, so my fears in relationship is also more like I'm very self like sufficient. I enjoy being alone. I don't need somebody in my life. I do enjoy people and like that loneliness sneaks in, but I'm also afraid that I'm going to hurt people's feelings all the time because I don't really have an emotional filter for people. I have a very logical based mind. Like I've even questioned at times whether I had like Asperger's or something like that, where it was like, I just don't get it. Like sometimes people get upset and I'm like, what the fuck are you upset about? Like, if this is just a fact. And then they bring up all these like reasons that are so emotional. I'm like, but that doesn't make sense. Like that doesn't logically make sense to me. Um, and so my fears are around the fact of like, I tend to hurt people inadvertently and like, I don't pay attention to it as much as I maybe should. I've learned a lot about it through our relating together, but a lot of times I'm just like, I don't fucking care. Like, <laughs> get over it. Um, and so that's kind of where a lot of my relational fears come from is that I don't want to hurt this person. So I don't pretend around them. And I do, I guess what I do what you do, Michael, but I've always done it to the point where it's just like, I let them know who I am right away. Like there's never been any veneers. There's never been any bullshit. It's just been like, this is who I am. And therefore, it already weeds out the people who can't handle it. Um, but 
in relation, that's always my fear is like, okay, well, if I get into this with this person, what point comes that I'm going to like end up hurting them that they're just like, you have no heart or you're cold or this and that. Cause I've been told that multiple times that I'm cold and it's like, I'm not cold. I'm very emotional, but I just maybe don't care about the frivolous things or the things that don't make sense to me. I just don't get it. So that's where a lot of my relational fear comes from is, is that, and I guess how I deal with it is I just don't tend to get into relationships. Um, Cause I'm just like, this is going to be so much more work than I maybe want to do. <laughs> if it's like, if you're, especially if somebody's super emotional, uh, that like, to me, somebody who's really, really emotional, we will not be a good match. I need somebody who's like <laughs> straight shooter. And I love when people who are just straight up and like almost abrasive about it because I'm like, Oh, I get it. That's why I've also always really been drawn to like Eastern Europeans. Like they're like, because they're just so upfront about things like, yeah, this is this. And then people are like, Oh my God, you're so rude. Or you're so mean. I'm like, no, that's, I love it. They're so straightforward. I know where I stand. And maybe that's, and maybe that's part of it too, is I don't like games. Like I hate games. I don't understand them. I don't understand this like cat and mouse bullshit. I'm just like, if you like me say so, if you don't like me say so, just like, let's like be upfront about it. And I'm upfront about it. And then I get people being like, wow, you're so rude. Like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm rude because I I gave you fair warning that it's like, hey, I don't think that this is a match because you like very specific things that I have no desire to like. And like, they're big enough things that it won't be a match. And people are like, wow, but you're so cold about it. I'm like, would you rather me ghost you? And like, <laughs> it kind of goes into that whole world. Um, anyways, gone off on a tangent, but how do I deal with these fears? Man, I don't really know how I deal with these fears. Like I've been trying and working on like going through our pad podcast and personal development and therapy and all the other things that people do. Um, but I think that the only way that sometimes you can really get through fears is like exposure therapy. And so I've been over the past few years, like, I mean, with the pandemic aside, because you couldn't really date during that, but like trying to let myself date people or trying to let myself be more open than I would have in the past. Um, and I did have a recent experience, you guys both know about it, where I did put myself out there and I did get really excited about it. And again, I was rejected, which I didn't know why, because this person wasn't able to communicate that or wasn't willing to communicate that mm. um and i'm just so sick of having those experiences so i'm just like uh, throw my hands up i'm like well what the fuck um but i think that that's really the only way that i'm working on it is i'm just i'm allowing myself to go down those roads that i normally wouldn't go down um but we'll see i don't know if this was a very cohesive answer but it was like a loaded one so i just kind of let it rip what about what about you, Matt? <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. Um, I just want to say to you, Callan, that the right person will come along and it'll just be like, it'll just be seamless. It'll, you know, you shouldn't have to work hard to get somebody to connect, right? Like, I just think it's, and maybe our relationships are going to come later in our life because I've also like struggled with relationships and, um, and I do believe that about myself. I think my, the best relationships of my life are going to come in my, the second half of my life because my relationship with me is more 
solid and more mm. secure. So, um, but I want to talk a bit about my attachment style because I've come, I've been doing a lot of work on this and I've been uh, trying for, for probably 10 years now to develop a secure attachment style. And it's been really hard. It's been the hardest work I've ever had to do. I've had to move through codependency healing work. I've had to move through trauma healing work, um, shadow work. Like it's just been really, really tumultuous. And my relationships have been tumultuous as well. Um, so just to give people an idea, I have a disorganized attachment style, which means uh, it's fearful avoidance. So um, I have a blend of anxious and, and avoidant. So with people that are really um, anxious, I become avoidant and people that are very avoidant, I become anxious. And this is a direct, uh, I guess, reaction to my childhood, which was hot and cold. I experienced a lot of hot and cold with my caregiving. And um, so the relational fears that I have because of this is I have a fear of being smothered and I have a fear of being abandoned. And these are extremely prevalent in my intimate relationships more specifically. Shows up a little bit in friendships, but not as much. Um, if somebody demands a lot of me, a lot of my time or attention, I immediately get like really defensive and um, I feel like smothered. And if somebody doesn't um, show up in consistent ways, I start to get like, what's going on. And I, I, I ruminate and I wonder like what's happening. And that's probably more the correlation with the fear of abandonment. Um, and I think, um, because of this, I think my relationships have been so challenging and, and I've had to learn, um, I've had to learn how to communicate my fears, which has been the hardest Thing I've ever had to learn really in relationships and relating because um, it doesn't come easy for me. That's the most vulnerable thing really I can do is express fear um, because I feel like it just, it's, uh, it feels very exposing, I think. And it feels like this person now has ammunition to hurt me further if they know what hurts me. And I think, so for me, that's kind of a really big thing. I keep myself guarded from that. Um, so I think um, in my intimate relationships, it leaves me very hot and cold, <laughs> right? And I pull back and then I move in and I pull back and I move in. And it's it's been very, very challenging for myself and the people that I choose to relate with. Um, so anyway, so how do I deal with that is I practice vulnerability by communicating my fears and um, I have to practice self-exposure and self-disclosure and it's, it's key. It's the only way I can do it. Um, if I want transparency back, which is something I need in my relationships, then I have to be willing to give it. And um, so that's definitely one of them. I think um, that's the healthy way that I cope with it. Um, the unhealthy ways that I cope with it are going to be hyper independence. Um, I don't need anybody. And I think a lot of my, my loneliness, believe it or not, comes from a lack of intimacy in my life. I have friendships and friendships are very fulfilling for me, but they're the loneliness that I really struggle with is, um, is that physical kind of wanting that connection. And it's been challenging for me to navigate because um, I'm on the demisexual spectrum. So I, I don't get satisfaction out of um, 
casual intimacy it just doesn't do it for me right like it just feels like this it's not it's not giving me what i need um and i'm really particular with who i let into my sphere so it's led to a lot of um alone time and loneliness that's resulted from that um but part of that i think is a bit of a story because i think i'm learning how to let love in and I'm through that process has been a lot. I've been, I've been meeting this part of me that is, I've, I think I was conditioned from a very young age to not feel good enough or not feel worthy or deserving or somewhere along the lines I inherited this conditioning. And that's been my, my thing. I put my walls up because I'm afraid that if I let my walls down, let people see me for who I am, that they're going to reinforce this sense of, of, not good enoughness or inadequacy that I have deep in my bones, you know? Um, so it's been like what Michael said, like I've had to risk um, rejection for authentic connection. I have to put myself out there. I have to be willing to move through that. And I've, I've experienced it. And I honestly think the antidote has been humility. Like, you know, it sounds weird, but like the antidote to me feeling like insecure about not being good enough has been my ego being completely destructed through a lot of rejection and a lot of criticism. And, and now it's almost like I had to go through this period of, um, like removing any attachment that I had to external validation and learning how to fully internally validate and, and override that and develop an internal sense of adequacy really and learning how to feel valuable and that's been probably you know a lot of this deep work I mean, that's how i've been healing the the insecure attachment because my insecure attachment the the underpinnings of of it all was not feeling good enough right like that was it like so i was showing up in my relationships in all these insecure ways because i didn't feel good enough i didn't feel worthy of love or belonging and i think i've had to um I've had to do this deep work to get to a place where I feel just worthy and it's showing up actually in a really interesting way in, in my body, particularly, I think I took on a lot of this stuff in my body. Like I didn't feel ever good enough in my body. I never felt sexy. I never felt attractive. And, uh, and now I'm just in this energy of like, I just feel it. I don't need the mirror to tell me, I don't need pictures. I don't, I just feel a sense of adequacy and good enoughness and, and sexiness like in in it's in my body as an energy and um that's been really helpful so um i'm just going to keep practicing that just keep practicing embodiment getting out of my mind getting out of the stories um the narratives that i have around not feeling good enough and you know not belonging and, and feeling different and people aren't going to accept me if i show them who i really am like those are all tapes that i learned along the way and i'm learning to unlearn those tapes and just show up as the expression of who I am. And it's been, it's been powerful. So yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to reflect on all that, you know, because it's, um, it's been a long journey. Like I said, it's been 10 years of doing this deep work and I finally feel like I'm arriving to some results. <laughs> I've been feeling a lot of the energy of spinning my tires, but I think that's part of the transformative journey is we feel that because we're, we're too lost in our own process that I don't think we can see the progress we have until we get to certain points in our transformation where we look back and we're like, holy shit, I've come a long way. But along the journey, the, the, that feeling of like, is this even working? You know, that's what I was experiencing a lot of. So it feels good to be at, at the destination of some progress. So.
Yeah. I like that all three of us said that uh, we all answer the question and all three of us said in our own way that we don't, the fear doesn't go away. We just exposure therapy, like we just expose totally. ourselves to it, do it anyway, all in yeah. our own way. We kind of said that. So that's a very key point that I want you guys to viewers, listeners to understand is it's not about making it go away. It's about realizing in whatever way that works for you, that it's worth the risk. Mm-hmm. Totally. True. Totally. And we all exp- express things too. Like, you know, actually I didn't even say this, but I, one of the things that I do is I premature, uh, prematurely terminate my relationships. But then I also said hyperdependence. Like these are just things that we have to do to learn. It's not like I'm just going to learn a skill and I'm always going to apply it. And I'm going to suddenly be conscious about everything. It's like, we have to go through the maladaptive ways that we cope with our fears as well, but we just have to have the awareness and the realization that we're doing it because that's going to have a spill out, right? When we show up in these unconscious ways in our relationships, that's going to spill out. And then we're going to have to clean that up. So it's important for us to know that, okay, I'm showing up in this way. <laughs> I'm choosing the maladaptive route. And then I'm going to have to deal with the, uh, the, the, uh, the fallout from that. So anyway, all right. So the third question is what have you done to deal with loneliness in your life? Michael. Alrighty. So a lot of, I've tried a lot of different tactics. Some of them are useful. Some of them are not so useful. So I'll start with the not so useful ones. Um, I feel like any, we're going to have similar ones. <laughs> yeah, probably. I think, I think a lot of people might resonate with this. Um, so any any kind of form of escaping my feeling of loneliness, trying to numb it or try to hide from it, I put it under that category, um, as opposed to allowing, which I would say would be more useful. So the ways that I actually just quick pointer here, again, I want to reiterate this, and even though we've said it a thousand times escaping our emotions such as loneliness does not make them go away you just escape it for a little while you numb it and then it comes back and still there it's probably even bigger and worse and uglier so i just want to reiterate that so anytime that i escape it or try to numb it with something take your pick it's not so useful so my favorite way of escaping the loneliness that i had that that emotional loneliness that i felt um and even to an extent, that chronic period, that six-month dark night of the soul period, at least for a lot of it, I tried to escape it and numb it with sex. Say Made sense. Or... Yeah. Well, yeah, anywhere. Same. I can have sex anywhere. Take your pick. <laughs> Church, wherever. Um, <laughs> work. <laughs> work, wherever. So for me, it made sense at the time. My thought process was, oh, I'm lonely because I miss my ex, so I'm just going to to get over somebody. You know, i got to get up under somebody else, whatever that saying is, to get over this guy, I'm going to get under all these other people. That does not work. That did not work for me. So that's because looking back, it wasn't that simple. It's not that simple of an equation. This person here doesn't just replace this person here. My loneliness, I know now, it was a, an emotional loneliness, right? The one that I spoke of at the beginning. It was the the bond, the intimacy. It wasn't about him physically as much as it was about the feeling I felt when I was with him, that safety, that that bond and that emotional intimacy. And what I was trying to do was fill that void with casual sex. Now, I am not knocking casual sex. I love casual sex. I think it's great. What I am saying, though, is there was a misalignment of what the need was for me and what I was doing to get it. It was just not a match, not a match. Casual sex is great if you're looking for casual sex and you just want to get off and you know move on to other things. But in this case, it was not working for me. In fact, it made me feel even more lonely because then this guy didn't work and then this one didn't work and then this one didn't work. 
And so all of these guys that just had this pile of people that I've slept with, and I still, at the end of the day, came back home and felt incredibly lonely. Mm -hmm. Other ways, you know, partying, drinking, having fun, distracting myself with literally anything, work, friends, social events, just, and, and in some cases, I will say distractions can be good and they can help in the moment, but, um, taken too far when that's like the only solution you just keep kind of doing it compulsively it can be a little bit not so useful okay that's my not useful the useful side is obviously not escaping it not numbing it right instead just allowing it to be there so one way i like to do that is to remind myself that the loneliness is part of the human condition it is universal we all get to experience it we are wired for social connection and acceptance, and we are wired to want approval, and we're wired to want to belong. And so when we don't get it, it's just our body's way of saying, oh, I'm missing this thing. I'm missing connection. I'm missing belonging. So what does allowing it look like? By the way, this is basically uh, in our membership, in the Game and Going Deeper membership, I did a video, coaching video called How to Feel Your Feelings. And this is a bit of an excerpt from that. If you guys are in the membership, please go check out the video for more on this. But how to feel loneliness is basically allowing it to be there. So when the urge for me shows up to want to um, escape or numb it, for me, I like to like grab my phone. <laughs> I'm not feeling good. I'm feeling lonely. Pick up my phone. Distract me with something. Go on Instagram, going whatever. Um, so whatever that is for you, maybe drinking or something else, working, whatever that is, um, just stop. Stop in your tracks. And what I like to do is go into that witness mode. And I get curious about it and I, I want to play with it. And notice even the word I use, play with it. Who the hell plays with loneliness? I do, because it helps me take the sting and the edge out of it. I think of it as, okay, I am experiencing this thing called loneliness. Let's let's look at it. Let's see what's going on over here. And for me, I'm a very like intellectual kind of, I, I like to have my mind stimulated. So that's where I go for relief. I kind of like to intellectualize things because it helps me. It helps me disidentify with it as being part of me and it helps to kind of get some space from it. So I'll ask myself, okay, what kind of loneliness am I feeling? What's, what's the cause? What's the trigger? What's happening here? You know, maybe go back to those uh, types. Is it situational? Is it emotional? Is it social? Which, which one am I feeling? Is it some FOMO? What's sparking it? Uh, something else that I like to do is rate the intensity. So, okay. If it's loneliness, I'll say, is this the loneliness I've ever felt? No. Okay. What number would I give it again? Just to, again, start to give my brain something to do that isn't feeling lonely. It's more so looking at it. Um, so that's this line of questioning takes me out of it. And then the next thing I do is ask myself, okay, what am I going to do about it? Now, the obvious answer might be to connect, but I will say for me, that doesn't always work. I don't like to do things that I don't feel like doing. So I might be feeling lonely, but I might not actually want to connect with somebody or, or, or reach out. That might not be what I need. So it really depends on the situation. But a good question to ask yourself is, what do I need right now? Just very open. What do I need? Sometimes I just need to go to bed and call it a day and say, you know what? This day is done, Michael. I don't care if it's seven o'clock at night. Go to bed. Let's just start again tomorrow. Sometimes that's what I need. Sometimes I might, you know, they say misery loves company. So I'll put on like Adele or Sam Smith or whatever. And I'll just be lonely with music or cry it out, right? Like we talked about in, in our last episodes, cry it out. I'm alone. Let's, let's cry it. Uh, sometimes it might be my need to like want to get, I might be super like 
energized or or not energized just feeling like there's a lot going on in my head and I might want to write or journal to like get all the thoughts in here out somewhere. And sometimes, yeah, it might be to message a friend and distract myself. Again, the distracting can actually potentially be helpful if it's, if it's a temporary solution. Um, yeah. So I think that's it. Those are the, those are the, the steps that I would use to allow and kind of process it. Uh, there is a bit of a caveat though. Keep in mind, if you are going to connect, like you know, people think loneliness, obvious answer is connection. And yes, eventually, I think that is the answer to, to connect with people. But like we talked about, there's not all kinds of connections are the same. There's different ways to meet that need for connection. And you want to make sure the way you're doing it, my lesson here, <laughs> from personal experience, the way you're doing it is actually going to solve the, the cause of the, the problem or the reason for the loneliness. So be mindful how you're getting that need for connection met who you're going to even some people might make your loneliness worse if they like are not helpful people they might make you feel shitty about it they mm -hmm. might diminish you right so be very careful about how how you're connected all right those are my those are my tips Great. i like those them awesome how about you <laughs> Callan? yeah those are good um very similar to you michael um not so much now but back in the day it was definitely like the grinder and the this and the that and i think what i think back now it was I wasn't conscious of the reason as to why I wanted to go and do that it was just like oh I feel lonely I want to connect so I'm going to go on grinder and like get you know that that way um and there's nothing wrong with it but I think it's the intention you're going into it with so it's like if you're going to go and you want to just go and have fun you're like this is going to be great that intention is very different than I feel alone or lonely I need some sort of outside validation, which I think a lot of people get because so many people also get pissed off about ghosting or this and that, or like nobody shows up. And it's like, because people are going on there because they're seeking to fulfill that loneliness whole. <laughs> um, but then they're getting some sort of attention, that outside validation of like a reminder of like, oh, I'm a human. Because for me, sometimes that loneliness is just like, um, that existential human existence of like, am I really here? Do I exist? Am I valid? Am I a person? And by going on Grindr, people messaging you and talking to you is, is validating that existence and being like, oh, yes, I'm still attractive. Oh, yes, I'm still desirable. Cool. Thanks for giving me what I needed. K, peace, love, rainbows, I'm out. Um, and that nobody's getting anything really, truly fulfilled in that regard. And, you know, everybody's, it's, anyway, that's a whole different conversation on Grindr. Um and so that's how I used to deal with things or one of the coping mechanisms I used to deal with things. Now, um, I'm much more conscious about it like you, like I do thoroughly enjoy being alone. But when I slip into the loneliness, I see what I tend to do with my time and what I tend to do with myself. And when I'm truly feeling lonely, that's when I'll download Tinder again, or that's when I'll download Grindr again. And like, but then I very quickly remember as to why I don't want to be on there. I'm like, oh, this is not the place I want to go. And it's it's usually not because I'm seeking a sexual engagement. It's usually because I'm seeking a genuine intellectual banter that is from a romantic point of view or from a romantic connection that I want that. I want to be engaged mentally because I'm very sapiosexual. I want you to engage me mentally 
but I also want to have that sexual tension, that sexual desire to also be a part of it. And that's why I would go there as opposed to going to a friend or going out and doing something because that's not fulfilling that emotional need of loneliness that I need. That is a whole different world. It's one thing to hang out with friends or talk to friends or message friends or go out and, you know, hang out with people or, you know, I, one of my, one of my uh, ways that I deal with loneliness is like, I plan things for my week to make sure that I'm getting social and getting out. Um, but when you, when I feel that loneliness of the emotional, I want that connection, that's what drags me there. And so then when I sit back and I look at it and go, okay, what do I truly want here? Am I going to chances are find somebody randomly in like this whole group of people. And then you have to build this very quick fake relationship in order to get to those depths. Like it usually doesn't work out because, you know, it just takes so long to build those kinds of relationships. Um, so when I get to those spaces, I usually like you, Michael, I let myself feel it. I'm like, fuck, I feel lonely. And my defaults are usually like, okay, we'll watch TV or like grab my phone and distract myself on social media. And when I'm endlessly scrolling, that's how I know I'm in the hole. Um, and I'll try and pull back and I'll try and consciously re-engage with like whatever I'm watching or consciously re-engage with something and be like, okay, maybe I can do laundry. Maybe I could be like, go be physical. Um, but one of the best ways that I deal with loneliness in my life is because I know I'm very introverted. I like to be alone. Um, but I program things into my week. So on Mondays, I get, have gay dodgeball. And on the weekends, I usually try and plan at least one thing, whether it's Friday or Saturday, I try and plan at least one engagement, because I can't do too many. But then I know at least I'm fulfilling my quota of like, being physically around people and getting that kind of energy, regardless if it's like, the emotional sexual kind of energy or not, at least I'm out there. And that will then possibly lead to eventually a romantic or sexual engagement. But you have to kind of go through that process. And so I usually I let myself go through that. And that's when I've always found people at least recently dating and that kind of thing. That's how I found them because there's an energy when you actually get out and around people. Um, so that's how I've been dealing with loneliness. And I've been pushing myself to get more social because again, I'm kind of trying to challenge this chronic loneliness feeling of like, is this really me? Or do I just tell myself to protect myself? Um, and then of course I have my physical medical stuff that goes on as well, which can be very challenging and kind of isolating as well. Cause even if I want to go out, maybe I can't go out. Um, but that's a whole, we've talked about that before, but those are usually, those are the kind of big ways that <clears throat> I see I'm putting the bandaid on and then how I'm actually working on it. So what about you, Matt? Yeah, lots of awareness, guys. I love it. Uh, mine's going to be very similar, but I'll try and put a different twist on it to keep it interesting. Um, so I just, and I'm experiencing this now still, like I still do this, um, is turning away from myself right? Like things are intense. I'm feeling emotions coming through. Loneliness happens to be one of them. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn away from myself. Um, so what I do, and I've noticed this is scrolling is, is one and eating food, my relationship with food. And this happened over COVID because I was always, well, I've always kind of had a bit of a skewed relationship with food because um, of fitness and becoming extremely obsessive about what I put in my body. That's one side of it. But the other side of it is that over COVID, I started using food as a way to like basically eat my feelings 
uh, boredom and loneliness were the two primary feelings I was alleviating. And um, so I, I've been learning to like, again, just face it because I feel like a, a huge, a huge aspect of, um, um, of dealing with uh, my loneliness is that I have to take responsibility for it. I have to go right towards it and develop a tolerance to it. And so I just did a, recently I did a 72 hour um, water fast and um, I've never done anything like that before. And <laughs> oh my God, it was so painful being with all that because I was so used to using food. I look forward to food. It fills a void. So guess what? When you can't fill the void and you can't look forward to something, you're, you have to be with all that like ugh, yuckiness inside. So I noticed that in the day one, I was scrolling like incessantly and I was like trying to like, you know, and it just put me in this state of overstimulation. And then for the next days after that, I'm like, okay, Matt, you have to meet yourself. Don't quit turning away from yourself. This is what, why you're doing this. Um, and it helped, it, it really helped me kind of be with that. So I've been learning to just like be with it more and, um, and not tell the story that that I am my loneliness because I don't I really don't actually believe that as as human beings I don't believe that we are our emotions because if I was loneliness I wouldn't have the ability to be able to feel like to, to be able to say I'm lonely right I have a separate entity of, that can say like I'm experiencing loneliness so what I what I try practicing is saying like I am noticing loneliness is trying to move through my body right now it's because I'm not my loneliness. I'm separate from it. Right. So then I give permission for my loneliness to be experienced and I, and then it moves through because I think oftentimes we get so consumed by our emotions and they feel so overwhelming because we, we, we become the tornado as opposed to the consciousness that's witnessing the tornado. There's two different experiences of, of emotional uh, intelligence, I guess, or emotional ex experiencing. Um. So some of the ways that I've, that I've dealt with it in the past too, is like, I've misused casual sex, like both of you said, or grinder or any of those sorts of things. Um, doing drugs was really huge. Um, conformity was a big one um, in order to get connection because I felt like if I showed up as being what, especially the gays around me want me to be, then I'll get connection, right? I had to unlearn all that stuff because I'm, I'm not that. I'm not your typical mainstream gay guy. I'm actually quite divergent from that. And I've had to learn how to celebrate that and just be okay with being that. And then again, when, when you, I've noticed like when I do practice nonconformity, people are quite drawn to me. Like, yes, you have the repelling, you repel people, but then you also draw people in and you inspire people to live their authentic path as well. And that's really cool because it's, um, I believe that this world is going to be much better when we all are letting each other be authentic and they allow our most unique expressions to come through and not feel like we all have to fit in because I think that completely separates us. Um, so those are kind of some of the unhealthy ways. And then, um, again, like you said, Callan, like you tell yourself like this, but then it's like, is it really this? Like, you know, because I feel like we've, we can easily as human beings lie to ourselves and believe it. That's the power of denial. So I've had to tell myself, and this is kind of where I'm at now, like, Matt, you need connection, Matt, you have fears. You have to face these fears. You have to override them. You have to choose to say yes. When somebody invites you to something, as opposed to using your imagination to create the experience of what you think is going to happen, because nine times out of 10, that doesn't happen. Right. I and mean, whenever somebody invites me to something and I go, I always have a blast. And afterwards I'm like, I'm so glad I went, but the times when I choose to let my fears 
override. I use my imagination to create limitation as opposed to possibility. And I think, so it's, I'm getting good at like recognizing that and being like, okay, no, let's choose something different because obviously you're yearning for something. I yearn for connection um, and I'm emotionally eating and scrolling for a reason, right? So I have to learn how to, to override that. Um, so I guess, yeah, learning how to reach out for connection um, is important. Um, and like what Michael said, um, I sit with it and cry because sometimes my loneliness gets so overwhelming and especially the existential loneliness, that's the loneliness that really, it feels paralyzing for me. Um, so I try my best to sit with it and cry and release because I really believe that when I'm experiencing existential loneliness, it's a grief of all the times I never let myself have connection, right? So I'm grieving the stories that I, that I inherited, that connection is scary, that connection is never going to meet my needs. So it's like, when I let myself cry, I'm shedding out the stuff that's holding me back from moving towards connection in the first place. Um, and then what that does, I guess, for me is it allows me to develop a tolerance to it because when I'm, um, when I'm constantly running from my loneliness or masking it with something, I don't actually develop a tolerance to it. And this is something that I think it's like shame. Loneliness and shame are like cousins. We have to get good at being with these experiences because they are human experiences. We will have them, whether we push them away or not, we're, we're going to always have to come back and meet them if we want to keep evolving right emotionally so um, I'm really learning how to take responsibility for my loneliness and choose um, new ways of of relating with myself and others that allows me to to belong which is something that I've really been wounded in in this life is not feeling like I belong so yeah lots of lots of big stuff in this uh, in this area is is there anything that you guys want to add before we wrap up um, I think those are all really good. Yeah, everyone. Yeah, I'm just going to add because I know that these are coming out around the holiday season. Um, yeah. And so, you know, if you are lonely or experiencing loneliness and you've listened to this podcast, um, you know, maybe do what Matt just suggested, like really sit and think about it and maybe, you know, go against what your brain is telling you. You're like, oh, I want to be alone or I want, you know, going out to this thing. I'm going to have this experience and maybe challenge that a little bit and think of times where it's like, Oh, but I've gone out many times where it was a surprise and I really did have a lot of fun. And so maybe sometimes I know for me, I sometimes trick myself into thinking that I'm not going to have as much fun as I know I'm actually going to have because it's my brain trying to keep me safe from having negative experiences. But I know that that's not true. And I have to constantly remind myself that it's like, no, but I have really great experiences. Um, and so just, this time of year can be very hard for a lot of people. And just remember that you're not the only one. A lot of people are going through that. And so if you're experiencing that, maybe you have other friends who are also experiencing that or other people who are also experiencing that. Um, and I know, you know, misery loves company. And sometimes that misery can be an okay thing to like commiserate together and be like, fuck, we're alone, but let's be alone together. And like, I know I've done that with friends where it's like, Let's just be sad and mopey and watch a movie together and not talk, but just know that each other is there doing the exact same thing. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to be in that space. I like that. It's good, you know, for people to hear that, I think. Yeah. In the group we'll be doing uh, in the Gay Men's Brotherhood Facebook group, 
we'll have journaling questions for everyone out there on each Wednesday. And what I love, what I love to see is when, you know, we have a question that is like a bit of a prompt and everyone can kind of answer. It's interesting to see how many people have very similar responses. And what I hope happens is, you know, it starts a conversation or has people connect with each other. So that's another thing is, is join us in the group and, and see that there are lots of other people who might also be feeling lonely or, or handling it in the same way, or uh, just make you feel like you're a little bit less alone. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's one of our questions. For yeah. Them. It's I'm like, are you, fe- are you feeling lonely right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 It's amazing the power of vulnerability. And I want to just offer you guys appreciation for, for sharing um, vulnerably today um, because um, it, again, I'm having the experience of like me not feeling alone in my loneliness because I know other people are, are navigating the same thing. So it's the power of our sharing. Vulnerable sharing is really, really powerful. So thank you guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those of you who are not part of our um, Gay Men's Brotherhood on Facebook, come and join us. Um, it's a beautiful space to be able to share and learn from other people and make uh, connections, international connections. So, um, And if you're watching on YouTube, please leave us comments. We love it when we read them out. And if you're on listening to this on your podcast uh, platform, please leave us a star rating, preferably five stars if you enjoyed what you heard today. And uh, yeah. Much love to everybody.